Hello, and welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com, the official podcast of the airsafe.com foundation. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis, the head of the foundation and the creator of airsafe.com, a reliable source of airline safety and security information since 1996. In this conversation, I'd like to review some of the complaints that have come through airsafe.com in the past few weeks. As regular listeners to the podcast know, airsafe.com provides a variety of resources for the air traveler, including an ability to send complaints directly to the Department of Transportation. A number of complaints pass through the system each week, and as you can imagine, many of them concern the common problems that passengers face when they travel, such as lost and missing baggage, delayed flights, rude service, etc. I'd like to highlight some of these events and also illustrate how airsafe.com has provided information and other resources to help prevent this for other passengers. One of the more unusual sets of complaints concerns airline seatings, specifically passengers who make reservations sometimes months in advance, only to find out that the airline has switched the seats without telling them. Luckily, in the case of many of the complaints that have come through airsafe.com, passengers have found out about these switches before they showed up at the airport which is a reminder to everyone that even if you have a confirmed reservation, it always helps to check a couple of days in advance to make sure everything is still okay. Before I give the details of some of these events, I have to emphasize that all of these events were submitted by people who visited the airsafe.com website and used the complaint form process. As part of that process, we cannot confirm whether or not the events actually happen as stated, we just take it on the word of the people submitting the complaints that these are factual events. Also, I think it's instructive for the listeners to know some of the details of these events, such as the airline or the flight number or the airport, but not necessarily details such as the name of airline employees involved or especially the name of the passengers submitting the complaints. The first event is dated the 3rd of June, 2006, and involved a United Flight 790 from San Francisco to Atlanta. There was a family of five that was traveling, including two small children, and although they had checked into the flight several hours before departure, roughly two and a half hours before departure, seats were not assigned until shortly before they were to board the aircraft, and in short, the five people were seated in five different parts of the aircraft. The family was able to seat the, the small children with the adults, fortunately, but the general thrust of the complaint was that if this aircraft was overbooked according to their report, then they should have done more to seat the passengers in a somewhat more rational manner. This problem illustrates a couple of things about the airlines, one of them being that there is no set rule from the Department of Transportation or from any international organization over the seating of passengers. Obviously, for uh, common sense and safety purposes, some seating arrangements simply don't make sense. For example, you wouldn't have a three-year-old child sitting on the other side of the aircraft from a parent. That being said, just because you check in as a group, just because your seats are assigned as a group, does not mean that the airline is obligated to seat you together on the aircraft. Variations of this next event were reported several times over the last month or so. In this particular case, it involved a Royal Jordanians Airlines flight RJ-264 out of Chicago on the 28th of May, 2006. The passengers booked their tickets three months ahead of time, confirmed their reservations twice before departing, including confirming their seats, and only after getting to the airport were they informed that the flight was overbooked and they simply had no seats and 
had to wait for another flight. This is a common problem repeated throughout many of the complaints from the last few weeks, and it illustrates a basic fact about the airlines. Simply put, they do not guarantee their schedules. So when you buy a ticket for a particular flight on a particular day, there's no guarantee that they will put you on that flight, and in many cases, they're not obligated to provide you any compensation if you're delayed or otherwise inconvenienced. The only time compensation is required is when you're involuntarily bumped from the flight. Even in that case, depending on where you are and depending on the flight, there could be very little, if any, compensation granted by the airline. The next event is a situation where airline rules may not cover the situation, but common sense could have gone a long way toward preventing this kind of problem. Specifically, this was for a United Airlines flight, number 5628, out of Chicago, going to Portland, Maine, on the 28th of May, 2006. In this particular situation, the passenger was an 84-year-old man with mobility problems, and they stated that previously at other airports and with other airlines, they had no problem getting a security pass to accompany their father to and from the aircraft. In this particular case, the agent supervisor for United allegedly denied this person a security pass to accompany their father to the aircraft. According to the person filing the complaint, the supervisor cited FAA regulations as a reason why a security pass could not be granted. After a review of the FAA regulations, airsafe.com could not find any regulation that specifically prevented an airline from granting a security pass in this situation. Given the lack of FAA regulation in this area, this seems to be a situation where the airline official arbitrarily decided not to grant a security pass, not for any legitimate FAA reason, but just because they felt like it. In this next complaint, the airline actually did follow standard industry practice. This passenger is complaining that after initially booking the flight, that Delta has twice changed itinerary without contacting them, even though they provided Delta with a contact email and other contact information. But the more interesting part about this is the explanation that Delta allegedly provided the passengers. And that uh, explanation was that Delta, as a result of its bankruptcy proceedings, is reducing the size of its fleet. And that is leading them to reschedule flights, reschedule aircraft. And part of the fallout is this particular passenger's flight was no longer available and they had to go on another flight. Clearly, this is within the right of Delta Airlines to reschedule their aircraft for any reason, whether or not it had anything to do with bankruptcy. The lesson to take away from this event is that you as the passenger should do the right thing, that is, provide your airline with contact information so they can contact you if there's a change to your schedule. This next pair of events concerns an, a set of issues that's always been of interest here at rcf.com, travel by unaccompanied children. The first event involves an unaccompanied child who had a change of planes, and there was a flight delay, and the complaint here was that the responsible adult at the end of the flight was notified, but the responsible adult at the beginning of the flight, in this case the child's mother, was not notified. Now, as it turns out, this has a happy ending in that the child was on a delayed flight, but the flight did get to the destination airport, and the responsible adult at that airport was able to pick up the child. The core of the complaint was that the airline did not notify the parent at the departure airport. As it turns out, there are no federal regulations that dictate exactly who the airline should or should not contact in a situation like this, and it's unclear what the airline's rules were in this case. By the way, this was American Airlines Flight 4457 that departed on the 31st of May of 2006 
from Phoenix on a flight to Charlotte with a stop at Chicago for a change of planes. This parent did do many of the things I suggested in the conversation at airsafe.com number 8, Airline Rules for Unaccompanied Children, in that she made sure that the airline had the contact information of the people at the destination airport and the departure airport. And also things worked as planned in that there was a delay en route and someone, a responsible adult, was notified. While this did not lead to any serious problem, it does beg the question, if a flight with an unaccompanied child is delayed, should the people at both ends of the flight be notified or, or should only the people at the arrival side of the flight be notified? This next event involving an unaccompanied child occurred on AirTrend Flight 274 on the 26th of May of 2006 from Atlanta to Boston. In this particular case, the airline apparently did not have in its record the person at the arrival end of the airport. The airline was apparently given the information for the person at the departure airport and the arrival airport, but apparently they were not able to find the record of the arrival airport after the plane arrived. As a result of not having that name in the record, the father of the child was not allowed to go to the gate to meet the child's aircraft. The parent of the child did something that was recommended by airsafe.com in its earlier podcast on unaccompanied children. That is, the child was escorted directly to the aircraft. Not only did the mother of the child take the child to the gate, she waited until the child had boarded the aircraft. Later on, the airline had no record of the child being on the aircraft, and according to the customer service representative, the child was a no-show. Fortunately, in this case, there was no problem. The child was on the airplane, and the parent at the receiving airport did meet up with the child. This incident shows up a possible problem with any unaccompanied child travel. Even if you have the proper information in the airline system, there's no guarantee that the airline personnel will be able to find it. This makes it doubly important that those of you who do have unaccompanied children flying, make sure that the child has enough presence of mind to be able to contact someone if something goes wrong. Depending on the age of the child and how well the child can handle themselves, they should be given money to use a payphone or even a cell phone to contact someone if something goes wrong. In this particular event, the child involved was nine years old. Many airlines allow children as young as five to fly unaccompanied. In my own opinion, a nine-year-old is probably mature enough to be able to do something such as use a payphone or cell phone to call someone if something goes wrong. But a child that's five years old? I'd have my doubts as to whether that child could deal with a situation such as this. Another group of recent complaints concerned issues surrounding the security of baggage, both checked and carry-on baggage. The following are examples of the kind of things that have come in recently to airsafe.com. The first complaint is from American Airlines Flight 307 from New York City's LaGuardia Airport to Dubuque, Iowa, on the 10th of April 2006. The person placed the overhead bag across the aisle from where they were sitting. After getting on the connecting flight, the passenger opened their carry-on bag and realized that a jewelry purse containing $3,000 worth of jewelry was missing. The passenger did complain to the airline, and the response of the airline was that they had no record of any lost jewelry being found, and furthermore, they weren't responsible for that loss. This passenger asked for recommendations on a solution to their loss. Unfortunately, in this case, there is no solution, in part because... Jewelry is one of those kinds of items that the airlines, in almost every case, will not compensate you if they're lost or damaged. Certain valuables, such as jewelry, cash, and negotiable financial instruments, if they're lost, damaged, or stolen, the airline will take no responsibility for it. Very often when people travel, they do have to take very valuable items with them, including cash and jewelry. 
This is a situation where keeping it in a carry-on bag may not be sufficient. There are at least two things you can do to prevent this kind of loss or theft from occurring. One thing would be to carry the items not in your carry-on bag, but directly on your person, in something like a traveler's pouch such as the type used to carry passports, or to put it in your pocket, or to put it in a purse, a fanny pack, or other small bag that you keep with you at all times. A second thing you can do is to simply not carry the item with you. If you don't need to take that amount of cash or that jewelry or those financial instruments with you on that trip, don't take them. Another thing you can do is if you do take them on the trip, don't show them to anyone. If you know you have something valuable in your carry-on bag or even in your traveler's pouch, don't take it out in the airport and show it to your friend or your family member or to display it in such a way that someone else may catch sight of it. Obviously, most people who fly are not criminals, but there are always a few people in any large population who, if they see something valuable and that can be easily taken, may in fact steal from you in the airplane. In short, common sense may be your best weapon against this kind of loss. In this next complaint, the passenger recognized that items had been stolen or were missing from their baggage after a delayed baggage situation. This complaint was associated with AirTran Airways Flight 39 from Atlanta to Midway Airport in Chicago on the 9th of May 2006. The baggage didn't arrive with the aircraft, and the airline did deliver the baggage later on that night. When the bags arrived at their house, they opened the bags and realized that medications, perfume, cologne, as well as wrapped gifts for their children were missing from the bags. The passengers claimed that the airline said that this was not their responsibility because the delivery service was not part of the airline. Now, there's not enough information here to know whether or not the loss or the theft occurred during the airplane flight or during the carriage of that baggage from the airport to the person's homes. What is very clear here is that among the losses these people had were of small valuable items and of medications. One of the things we emphasized in the previous podcast, show number 13, Baggage Basics for Checked and Carry-On Items, is that there are some valuable items and some personal items that you should not put in checked baggage. Among them are medications and valuables. It is rather unfortunate that the gifts for the children were stolen, and perhaps these gifts were so large that there was no way to put them in carry-on luggage. But one thing you can do is that whenever possible, Things that common sense would say are items that a a thief might want to take. Things like perfume, jewelry, money, wrapped gifts. If they're small enough, put them in carry-on luggage. If they're valuable, such as perfume, such as money, such as jewelry, do not put them in checked baggage. If you have to put a valuable item in checked baggage, put it there in such a way where it doesn't attract attention. The following event defies categorization, except to say that perhaps this should go under the heading of be nice to your crew because you don't want to be thrown off the plane and arrested. The event was on United Flight 309 on the 30th of December, 2005, on the Denver to San Francisco flight. The flight was originally scheduled to depart at 11.25 a.m., but due to mechanical problems on not one but two different aircraft, it wasn't until 6 p.m. on the third aircraft that the passengers were able to depart. Due to congestion at the destination airport, they waited for an hour and a half at Denver, at which point the crew announced that due to crew rest requirements, they were unable to complete the flight, and they went back to the gate. According to the complaining passenger, the following then occurred. We returned to the gate and exited the plane. 
The replacement crew arrived, and the new captain began lecturing us to be patient and stated that it's been a long day, to which I replied, yes, it's been a long day. The captain immediately threw me off the flight and summoned police and sky marshals, presumably to arrest me. Luckily for all, common sense prevailed, and a United supervisor convinced the captain to let the person back on the aircraft. Now, at this point, I have to say that I was not a witness to this event, and from reading the statement of the complaining passenger, I can't really tell what the tone of voice was of the people involved. Obviously, the captain didn't like the tone of voice that was being used or didn't like being questioned. Is there any advice I can give you that would be useful? Not really. Except that crew members, on occasion, are human beings and can lose their temper just like passengers can. In the last few months, perhaps the most frequent type of complaint to come through airsafe.com concerns the cost of misconnections. As I've stated before in this podcast and in other podcasts, airlines are not required to give you any sort of compensation if you have costs that are incurred because of delays or misconnections due to delays. Depending on the situation, the cost incurred by a passenger could be anything from a hotel stay to missed time at work to missed meetings, missing special events like weddings. And, of course, delays can be for many reasons, because of weather, because of security concerns, because of mechanical problems with the airplane, because of congestion at the departing or the arrival airport. It really doesn't matter. If you're delayed, if you have problems because of delays, airlines in the United States are not obligated to give you anything. And, by the way, if it turns out that the airline isn't telling the truth about why the flight was delayed, it still doesn't matter. In almost every case, you're not going to need any compensation. Take, for example, U.S. Airways Flight 3090 from Baltimore to Philadelphia on the 7th of April, 2006. According to the complaining passenger, upon arrival in Baltimore, he was told that the flight was going to be delayed due to the weather. And because of the time of the day, the passenger was forced to find accommodations for the night. Later on, the passenger found out that it wasn't a weather delay, but allegedly a pilot for the airline was under the influence of alcohol and was unable to fly the flight. The passenger was understandably upset, and requested full reimbursement for all the charges associated with the delay. Unfortunately, even a pilot who is allegedly under the influence of alcohol is not grounds for reimbursement for a delayed flight. So the moral of the story, the moral of many of these delay stories, is the following. If you have a delay or cancellation, and if you have expenses due to that delay or cancellation, in almost every case, you're not going to get anything. Very often, it's not just the passenger or the passenger's family who's affected, but other people as well. This last complaint illustrates just how many things can be affected by a delay in a flight and how it's important for you, the passenger, to take steps, whatever they may be, to keep these delays from being a problem for you. According to the complaining passenger, they were taking a series of flights from Atlanta up to Anchorage, Alaska, as part of a -a once-in-a-lifetime vacation that included a cruise. In short, the two flights I had to take from Atlanta up to Anchorage were late, Because of these delays, they lost part of their vacation package tour with a value of roughly $800. These passengers were very good about collecting the documentation to prove the cost that they incurred during this delay. But the sad fact is, the airline is not responsible for reimbursing them for this kind of delay. Furthermore, if a passenger is going to do some sort of trip that includes air travel plus another portion such as a resort or cruise ship, The only way to prevent having losses incurred because of delays is to have some kind of insurance. That insurance could take several forms, one of which could be traditional travel insurance, which would reimburse you for expenses if your flight or your cruise ship were late, delayed, damaged, etc. Another way to protect yourself is to arrange travel so that the air 
and the cruise and any other part of your vacation as part of an overall package, so that if the plane is late, the people running the tour are responsible for making sure that your hotels are taken care of, that your extra expenses are taken care of, and that you get to the ship or to the destination in time. Anytime you travel when you have a time-sensitive element, such as having to get to a ship for a cruise at a certain day or a certain time, it's important that you take steps to make sure you're not going to lose out on that trip. In addition to the travel insurance or booking a package trip, as I mentioned before, you could also arrange your travel so you have one or more days between the time the flight is supposed to arrive and the time the next phase of your vacation is supposed to start. Many delays, especially the delays that I've talked about here in this podcast, were a few hours or at most one day's duration. While not everyone has this opportunity to have extra days built into their schedule, this is one very easy way to keep delay problems from really ruining a trip. Well, it looks like that's all the time we have for today. Before we end this conversation, I'd like to remind all my listeners that this podcast is sponsored by the Airsafe.com Foundation. This nonprofit organization is responsible for this podcast and for a variety of other efforts to further the public's understanding of aviation safety and aviation security. For information about the foundation or to make a tax-deductible donation, please visit the foundation at airsafe.org. For more information about airline safety, you can find us at airsafe.com. That's A-I-R. S-A-F-E dot com, or type the words airline safety into your favorite search engine. We're probably on the first page of results. Feel free to write to us at our email address, theconversation at airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.